Hey everyone, it's Michael here. You're listening to the seminal and the very provocative Goody Reader radio show. The date is July the 14th, 2015 here at goodyreader.com. And we're going to talk to you about e-readers, tech, e-books, and industry news in general. The first thing is in-house news. We have in our hands the latest generation Amazon Kindle Paperwhite. We're calling it the Paperwhite 3. Amazon's calling it the all-new Paperwhite. But what happens when eventually the Paperwhite 4 comes out in 2016? Are they going to call this the all-old Paperwhite? What are people going to say when they're selling like this year's model on eBay? They're probably just going to call it the Paperwhite 3. Uh, the big thing about this e-reader is that it has the same high-resolution capacitive touchscreen display technology that its higher-priced sibling has in that of the Kindle Voyage. Now, the Voyage came out in late 2014, uh, $199 again, and it's pretty well with the best e-reader that has ever come out. We were really, really impressed by it. It had everything going for it. But some people were kind of resistive in paying the high price point for it, and you're paying significantly more if you want the optional 3G adapter that will allow you to buy e-books no matter where you are. Now, this year, Kobo came out with their Kobo Glow HD, which actually we had three weeks before it became commercially available, and we posted a ton of reviews, like everything that you could possibly want to know about the Z-Reader, we tested it and posted it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash goodyreader. But the Kobo Glow HD had the same screen as the Voyage, but at a fraction of the price. It's only being sold for $129. So... People who were maybe buying an e-reader for the first time were saying, like, look, you know, <laughs> I'd rather pay this much money for this great of a screen as the higher priced edition has. So Amazon countered the Kobo Glow HD with a third generation Paperwhite. And we put these guys side by side. The Amazon Kindle is a little bit better mainly because it has a capacitive touchscreen display, whereas the Kobo Glow has an infrared touch display and this kind of makes a difference when you're in a PDF file and you're pinching and zooming or you're using the built-in web browser and pinching and zooming it's just it's a little bit more fluid on the Kindle I noticed but when it comes to actually just reading your standard ebook that you've loaded on yourself or you have purchased from the respected bookstore I just think that the Amazon shopping experience is a little bit more fluid and so if you're going to choose between the Paperwhite 3 or the Glow HD you would go with the Glow HD if you're sort of like a mid-level and advanced user. You know, you want to load in your own fonts, which the Kobo allows you to do. You have way more advanced options to customize your reading experience. Kindle's a little bit more basic, but people like that. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why the Apple iPhone and, I, and iPad have been so successful is that it's ridiculously easy to use. There isn't really a lot of advanced features to bog down the first-time user. Whereas with uh, Kobo, it's it's appealing to the first-time user, but it's really appealing to the advanced user. I just think that the Paperweight 3 is probably the bit better of a buy because ebooks are cheaper there. And they just have a little bit better of a curated store experience. I find that Kobo store experience on their line of e-readers is just a little bit complicated. They have like tons of different categories. It's all gridded, whereas Amazon just like lays it lays it out a little bit more efficiently. They take a, a better use of screen real estate. So um, that's enough about that. In book selling news, Barnes and Noble is going to be 
spinning off its educational unit slash college bookstore division from the parent company. And now we have it. We knew this for the last few months. This is what Barnes & Noble announced, you know, earlier on in the year. But they definitely announced other things that they didn't fall through, such as international expansion, such as more of a priority on Nook, uh, such as actually making money with their Nook ebook store instead of it becoming a black hole for money. Uh, But we now have a date. August the 2nd is the date that all of the stock stuff is going to be taken care of dividends and and things like that. I'm not going to bore you with the financial logistics, but if you want to know how existing Nook shares will be converted over to the college division, uh, as well as the the dividend payout and everything like that, uh, on the front page of our blog, we have a story on it. We also have the press release, which really goes into the minute details of how much per share will be transferred over, how you could buy into uh, the college bookstore, if you're an investor and you want to invest in the college bookstore division and not the black hole that is Barnes & Noble, the bookstore and Nook division, um, you'll find all the details there. Uh, Books A Million, I found out, is looking to go private uh, once again. Uh, the Anderson Group basically are the people that originally started Books A Million, and they want to, They, they I think they control like 59% right now of the company. And they want to go private, so they kind of started like its own special entity and whatnot. No really definitive date on when that's going to happen, but we do know that uh, the shareholders are in agreement to sell the remaining stake in the company to the Anderson Group. So the Books A Million will likely be 100% owned by a singular entity and not shared. So perhaps this is beneficial uh, for them because they have a little bit more control over like what they do. They don't have to uh, try to convince their other shareholders that they want to go in a, a, a different strategic direction or if they want to do something. It's It's like... When you own something completely, it's way more easier to um, establish like a vision for the company and where you want to take it and actually execute on that. Whereas if you have other hands in the cookie jar, uh, you know it could get a little bit difficult and heads and egos and everything like that can get involved. So I applaud Books A Million and we're going to keep you guys updated on if the sale actually goes through and if it becomes private again. And we're actually trying to get an interview with them to find out where they want to take the company uh, going forward. Overdrive has actually moved to Japan, and this is the first time that Rakuten is playing a role in getting them international exposure. Uh, Rakuten is, I think on paper, like the second or third largest e-commerce company uh, in the world after Amazon and eBay. They purchased Kobo a few years ago. And now they purchased Overdrive, and Overdrive is the company that's responsible for facilitating the transfer of ebooks, audiobooks, video, uh, fiction, nonfiction titles to libraries. Basically, if you live in the UK, Ireland, Canada, or the US, and you borrow an ebook from the library, chances are they're doing business with Overdrive. And Overdrive hasn't really had a ton of luck expanding into other markets like they haven't expanded at the ravenous pace of say a Kobo or an Amazon has or even Google Play books I mean it's you nary go 
a month without hearing about a host of new countries that have you know signed up for it but with overdrive they're a little bit more slow in their expansion patterns so this move into japan is actually a big deal uh, they have two libraries right now that are one is already gone live one's going live uh in the next few weeks uh itako public library is getting it later on in a week where ryu gak ryu asaki Ryugasaki Public Library is the first branch, and they have children's, young adult literature, graphic novels, manga, and much more. I heard that they actually have a crazy selection of digital comic books, graphic novels, manga uh, that's available. And people could read on their smartphones, on their tablets using the OverDrive app, or they could use it on their web browser on any of their computers using OverDrive Read, which is their HTML5 uh, platform. So you know that Rakuten played a big role in getting OverDrive in Japan. Now that they have a foothold, it's going to be significantly easier for them to say, look, you know, these libraries use us. Here's some metrics. Here's some analytics. Look at how much we control, you know, the U.S. and United Kingdom markets. Obviously, this uh, makes sense. Now, playing a bit of a role in this deal is a company called MediaDo, who actually has experience in the Japanese library market. So, MediaDo is kind of playing the role of what SoftLink is doing in Australia. Um, OverDrive doesn't directly manage the logistics of signing people up in Australia. They go through a company called Softlink, which was already an established player in the library scene. And Overdrive basically given made them an offer that they couldn't refuse. And so when Overdrive does business in Australia, it's mainly done via Softlink. If you are in the market for a Kindle tablet, a Fire tablet, or an e-reader, Amazon is celebrating Prime Day tomorrow. It's their equivalent of their summertime Black Friday. It's their first attempt to try to start a holiday. Incidentally, it's their 20th anniversary. So they are having a fire sale all day long in TVs, electronics, cell phones, and everything in under the sun. So if you are a Prime member, you can actually get some crazy huge savings as well as the two-day free shipping. Uh, the Fire TV stick will be $15 off uh, with $30 being cut off of the Amazon Kindle Basic Touch and $60 off the Fire HD 7 and the Fire HD 7 Kids Edition. So... On our blog, again, we have a press release which basically lists like everything from like TVs to cameras to connected car to connected like living room, like those lights, uh, those hue lights that actually will activate with your smartphone, which I find is actually hello friggin' cool. Um, in other Amazon news, because obviously we can't get enough of them. <laughs> People are revolting, apparently. Um, almost every single union representing authors have simultaneously filed uh, petitions to the Justice Department of the U.S. to look into Amazon for its... Uh, they're saying, you know, they actually have some strong words. Uh, let me read some quotes here. 
Uh, the American Booksellers Association accused Amazon of free riding. They said, Amazon has long employed three major competitive advantage over its brick and mortar counterparts. Without any physical stores, Amazon has low fixed costs, which enables it to offer lower prices than brick and mortar stores, even when not selling below cost. Amazon can and does free ride off the sales and promotion efforts of brick and mortar stores. Uh, customers browse the books at the brick and mortar store and then purchase them online at lower prices, uh, generally encouraging the concept of showrooming. Uh, showrooming is the phenomenon whereby customers go to physical bookstores to make a purchasing decision, but actually purchase the item from an online retailer, in most cases, Amazon. Amazon has even created an app to facilitate this process, which allows customers to scan the barcode of a back of a book and then complete the purchase from Amazon's website. Most, multiple industry research studies demonstrate that this is occurring, and publishers themselves have noticed increased Amazon sales during author events at brick-and-mortar bookstores. State governments have subsidized Amazon with sales tax avoidance. Unlike bookstores, Amazon does not have to click sales taxes in many locales. Strong words. Uh, you know, uh, there has been like a crazy firestorm erupting from the Authors Guild, again, the American Booksellers, uh, Booksellers Association, the Association of Author Representatives, and Authors Union. So, uh, Sorry, Authors United. So <laughs> whether this um, anything happens, I mean, at the same time, all these people sent letters on Amazon's 20th anniversary. So maybe they're trying to build some anti-Amazon sentiment so close to like a big new holiday that they're trying to roll out. So you have a sheer amount of negative publicity. If, if people are Googling anything to do with Amazon, likely an article from us or Publishers Weekly or Digital Book World or other sites will be showing up in the search results. And hey, sometimes people want to kind of know uh, more about Amazon and how people really don't like them <laughs> amazon's the the big bad wolf so to speak but you know the justice department investigated amazon and didn't really find anything wrong when they were doing the apple case with like price collusion with apple ibooks and all the major publishers at the time you probably have read about it it was ongoing for about five years <laughs> so if you've been like regularly checking out websites like ours or any of the other big ones obviously the apple justice department antitrust case has been dominated headlines for literally years and years so during that time they investigated amazon because amazon obviously was the reason why apple tried to convince all the major publishers to create a uniform landscape of fixed costs on ebooks as opposed to the laissez-faire policy that we start we see now but was more prevalent when ebooks became really popular from about 2007 to about 2013 so amazon was obviously made more money from ebooks than anybody because they bulk discounted them the publishers got paid less but because amazon was selling in such sheer qualities that the publishers were fine with it you know they're, they're they're making their money but now they're making so much money that now that they can dictate terms and we have a concept known as agency light which is publishers giving suggested costs and online retailers have like a pool of funds that they have on a monthly basis that they could subsidize books and offer them at discounts, but they have to do it within a certain dollar amount slash threshold. So no longer 
we see a new John Grisham book that comes out and it's going to be 99 cents. That's simply not going to happen. You're still going to be paying a little bit more than what you used to pay on Amazon, which is about $5.99 to about $7.99. But now you're paying between $9.99 and $12.99 because of just the deals that the publishers had to renegotiate with all these retailers after the Justice Department basically hammered Apple for... Uh, forming a price cartel slash collusion and everything else. So I guess it's, you know, now that everyone's had the Apple field day in court, they kind of want to do the same thing with Amazon and just basically say that Amazon's a monopolistic nightmare. We can't live with them. We can't live without them. And they're trying to get them investigated. But honestly, I don't think anything will happen. Um, we've gone through this song and dance before. So I think that this is just like sensationalism and nothing at all is going to happen with this case. So don't get worried that your ebooks from Amazon will suddenly be costing a whole lot more or suddenly Amazon will just magically stop doing business with any of the big major publishers. There's too much money involved in it. Uh, speaking of authors and everything like that, U.S. Authors Guild is demanding that publishers start paying 50% of revenue that an ebook generates instead of the normal 25%. They're trying to get big-name authors and agents to fight for this under the, quote, Fair Contract Initiative. Uh, the Authors Guild has stated that publishers are not kept up with the times, and they want their authors to have a larger piece of the pie. This is primarily because the ebook market in the U.S. is booming and publishers are making a killing. According to the latest numbers from the Association of American Publish, uh, adult trade ebooks brought in $1.3 billion in revenue in 2013, up 3.8% uh, and from 2012. Ebooks in 2014 accounted for 27% of all U.S. trade sales. So authors used to get paid like 50 percent um and then okay so he, here's sort of like the history from it from the mid-1990s when ebook provisions regularly began appearing in contracts until about 2004 ebook royalties varied wildly many of the e-rates at major publishing houses were shockingly low less than 10 percent of net receipts and some were about at 50 percent some standard contracts left them open for a negotiation of course your stephen king's your daniel Steele's of the world uh, as the years passed especially between 2000 and 2004 Many publishers paid authors 50% of their net receipts from ebook sales, in keeping with the idea that authors and publishers were equal partners in the book business. In 2004, Random House, which previously paid 50% of its revenues for ebook sales, anticipated the coming boom in digital and cut its e-rates significantly. Other publishers followed and gradually royalties began to coalesce around the 25% mark. By two 2010 it was clear that the publishers had successfully tipped the scales on a long-standing partnership between authors and publishers to achieve a 75-25 balance in their favor. Well, can anything be done? Well, Right now, still, a lot of authors are being paid 50% royalties on print and ebooks. Uh, these are like the perennial bestsellers of the world. Uh, John Grisham, uh, Cormac McCarthy, you know, and the guys that are guaranteed uh, to sell books. E.L. James are, is 
probably making maybe even a bit more than 50%. It's hard to say, say, but I mean, the type of bankable authors that when they write a book, they sell a lot of books. Whereas self-publishers or first-time writers or people that are less known and do not have like a household name, they're getting paid 25%. So I, whether this anything comes of this, I mean, they're just basically like demanding. Uh, they have, they're trying to like start lobbying and things like that, but... It's the same thing with like Amazon. Do you really think that suddenly all the publishers are going to start paying their authors more? <laughs> if anything, they're going to try to pay them even less. Um, you know, don't forget, authors make still a ton of money if their book gets adapted for a stage play or gets optioned for a movie. They still get bonuses and things for that. So it's in their best interest to kind of write bestsellers, you know, to go into it. If you're not a household name, do you deserve the same type of revenue share system as a Stephen King? Um, that's up for debate. But we do know at one point, major publishers were offering a 50% revenue share with ebooks and print. But ebooks didn't really account for a whole hell of a lot of money in the early 90s and early 2000s. It was like when the Kindle came out, the first generation, 2007, that's when ebook sales picked up you know and from 2007 to about 2012 that's when the huge boom period where it went from like you know a 97 million dollar industry to like a billion dollar industry and it's still a billion dollar industry so i don't think that publishers are going to pay authors anything more than they're paying them now because the precedent of a 25 percent revenue share system has already been established Nothing will change unless big-name authors get on board and say, you know, support our startup brethren, you know, <laughs> or we're going to walk. They're not going to walk. <laughs> and if the, if the, if the big-name authors and the big-name agents don't make a stand, then everyone else is basically just, like, standing on soapboxes and yelling just to whoever walks by. It's basically what's the – it's the equivalent of – do you like new Apple gadgets? Well, tomorrow or today, July 15th, if you're listening to this, Amazon, I mean, Apple is anticipating to release a new iPod product line. This includes a new iPod Touch, iPod Shuffle, and iPod Nano. It's expected to be announced on July 15th, but of course dates change, but they really want to take advantage of their Beats partnership and include Apple Radio and Apple, like their music subscription service on this. Uh, they're going to have new colors. Uh, the colors that will be available are silver, space gray, red, bright pink, deep blue, and light gold. Uh, the, la the latter three colors, pink, blue, and gold, are new shades that are not currently available in any other product. Uh, they also have not only are the shades different colors, but the, the, you know, the starting wallpaper, the UI layout is different colors as well. This sounds kind of cool. Um, I see you know, iPod shuffles and, and this whole thing as gateway devices. These are the types of devices that you likely will buy for the first time and then upgrade to either the iPhone or the iPad or the iPad mini. I did it and I know a ton. I, I literally know over three or 400 people that did the exact same thing. It's sort of like you buy an iPod nano cheap as shit. And then it's, 
you know, like, you know, I kind of like this. And all the music I purchased, I could, you know, buy an iPhone or, or I could I'll go to an iPod Touch and all my things are there. And, hey, if I get the iPod Touch from the Nano, it's like I could use apps. I could use Skype and WhatsApp. Oh, I can use things that have 3G connections, though. Maybe I'll buy an iPhone, you know. And then from there, it's like, oh, I love gaming on my iPhone. But the screen is, you know, even on the, the 6 Plus, it's still kind of small. Maybe I should get an iPad. Then I could fully game and I could watch Netflix videos better. So you can see how this, like, goes, right? And uh, that's what I did, Except along the way, I bought an Apple TV, and um, I have, like, an airport, and I have, like, an airport-enabled printer and scanner, so I don't need, like, wires from anything. So, yeah, I I do use Android. I, I have, actually, an iPhone 6 Plus and a Samsung Galaxy S2, which is quite long in the tooth, but I still use it as like my backup phone slash dev device for making apps and, you know, polishing our, our Android line of, of, of things. And if you're not aware, we have an Android app store. We've been running it for the last four years, and we originally started it to have e-reading apps available a lot of people are like hey um, i live in this like madagascar or i live in like south korea and i can't download apps from google play here can you help you know so it's like okay email the app email the app and then eventually we're like okay we need a system that will allow us to host these apps ourselves so app store was born i think now we have like a both 49,000 apps we have 15 to 25,000 registered developer accounts that submit these apps. We have an Android client for uh, Android phones and tablets. We also have a BlackBerry app for the BlackBerry Playbook and all BlackBerry 10 enabled devices. And then from there, we started like a series of cool tools, bypass geographical restrictions on Google Play, and you could just like download any app you want on the fly from our website. Uh, we have a ton of cool stuff, so you can check everything out in regards to that at apps.goodyreader.com. And we have millions and millions of minutes watched on our YouTube channel. So if you'd like to hear more on anything I talked about during the show today, you can check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash goodyreader. We're also on iTunes for our entire line of podcasts, or you can just catch up listening to each individual episode on our Goody Reader forum. So you can visit goodyreader.com slash forum slash and uh, visit there, or you could just click on the forum link on our main website at goodyreader.com. So you've now been brought up to date on the major news that's happened in the last calendar week, from Apple to Amazon to authors to publishers to bookstore news. So my name is Michael. You've been listening to the Goody Reader Radio Show, and everybody take care.